You stood on the shoulders of geniuses uh, to accomplish something as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you, you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now you're selling it. You want to sell it. Well, I, I don't think you're giving us our due credit. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. Welcome, everybody, to the Monthly Movie Dispatch. This time, we'll be recapping the month of June of 2018, starting with five quickshot reviews of movies we loved or hated, typically indies, or others we thought would be worth mentioning. Then, we're going to move on to three major reviews of Incredibles 2, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, and wrap up with Hereditary, and a spoiler section for that film. Then we'll end with some quick July anticipations so you'll know what to see over the course of next month and what we will most likely be reviewing next time here on Monthly Movie Dispatch. I'm your host, Nick Moffat, and with me here are my partners in crime, Brandon Bowlby. Hey, guys. And Sean Bowlby. Hello. So welcome. Uh, let's get started. So, uh, Brandon, uh, how was your month of June? Pretty great. I saw 10 movies this month um, from the year 2018. I also had a really good time watching the originals of the several sequels that we got this month. And I've been doing that a lot more this year than previously. Does doing that sort of thing get you more excited about the, the movie you're going to see this summer? It worked really well for Incredibles because I hadn't seen that. Uh, Incredibles 1 for... If, I don't know, 10 years, but um, the original Jurassic World was pretty painful. It helps a lot to be able to compare afterwards. It's fun to like put them side by side and see how the series is going. Yeah. Man, that first Incredibles movie is so good. <laughs> so, uh, so Sean, uh, it's been a few months since we've seen you, mm-hmm. I think since the summer movie wager episode that we did. Um, yeah. how's, how's your summer going? It's going uh, good. Uh, I find myself checking charts a lot, um, <laughs> uh, almost obsessed like uh, fantasy football people are. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a it's been a ton of fun. And you're um, in the lead I'm too. For you now, know that <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I I know but I am you know there's some there's definitely some movies that are going to move around. Quite a bit. It's actually uh, kind of Ocean nervous Day. being in the lead at this point because uh-huh. so much could change <laughs> yep. for the rest of the summer. Yep, for sure. I think I'm definitely going to win the top five, but it's the bottom five that I think uh, could really throw throw it for me. <clears throat> well, the number 10 yeah. spot is the wild card. Because uh-huh. you know, if yeah, someone totally. hits the number 10, then it's that's just as many points as hitting the number yeah. one. So mm-hmm. uh, that that's what I'm going for is the number 10 slot. Uh, yep. Just kidding. I I'm not winning that no matter what happens. So wait, wait, wait. <laughs> we were just thinking like, for what? Nick, both me and you picked Ocean's Eight, and for how much right. that's made to this point, which is a hundred million, it'll probably make another like fifteen or twenty million, and that's kind of right around the number ten spot. Yep, and I I put it at number six, which that is, I think it's hit. Uh, number six dead on right now it's as far as where it is so that's pushing my score way up and it's going to drop all the way down to probably eight nine or ten at least and you guys are probably going to come a lot closer to it mm-hmm. if not hit it dead on for number 10 so 
So. But uh, yeah, outside of that, I'm still just plugging along with my uh, my westerns. I'm almost done with the '60s. Gonna move into the '70s, which I'm excited for. Yeah, uh, me, and, me and you just watched um, a western a few days ago. Uh, Once upon a time in the West. Uh huh. Yep. <clears throat> uh huh. Um, I just watched the uh, original True Grit, which was uh, really good as well. A ton of fun. Better, uh, but yeah, I'm also the uh, No, I, I mean, I, I haven't seen the Coen Brothers one in a while, but probably not. It was just a really fun movie, and it's I think it's the last John Wayne movie that I'm gonna see, and it was uh, it's pretty cool to see him go out on that kind of high note, mm-hmm. at least for my viewing experience. Did I ever tell you guys about when I I was doing a Coen Brothers marathon? Like I was trying to watch all of their movies. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the store and I bought True Grit on DVD and I came home and I put in the DVD player and then it turned out to be the original True Grit. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> what? Like, Wait, how long did it take you to find out? It was really... Like, like, John Wayne? What? Like, pretty much like up until the movie started because yeah. like the previews were like for old Western, like, you know, old Westerns and the remastered collections. And I'm like... Huh, it's kind of weird that these are the previews before uh, this newish movie. Uh, and then the movie started, and I was like, there's no way. This, this can't be right. <laughs> and then John Wayne yeah. shows up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, well, um, I guess I'll keep watching this. So now uh, on my DVD shelf, I have you know the, the box of the Coen Brothers True Grit with Josh Brolin and Matt Damon on the cover. And uh, mm-hmm. nope, but it's the John Wayne movie that's inside of it, so... Huh. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's move on uh, to the short reviews. Uh, we've got five movies today that we want to talk about. Uh, Brand, do you want to start us off? Yeah, so I saw the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Um, this is the documentary about Mr. Rogers. Uh, it's, it's kind of, it starts from the beginning and goes through the entire run of his career and the show. Um, and it's really beautiful and fascinating, and it just tells the story of like just one of the most genuinely kind men who ever lived, and him just trying to help society the best he could. And I think this is probably going to be one of the standout documentaries of the year, and I definitely recommend checking this out. I think it doesn't need to be seen in theaters, and so when it probably inevitably comes to Netflix, it'll be the perfect doc to watch um i have to ask uh the trailer was extremely emotional was it as emotional as the trailer made it seem i don't have much personal attachment to mr rogers i saw i remember like glimpses of episodes when i was really young but i don't remember too much of it so there wasn't that much much like sentimentality um attached for me personally but there are some scenes that are just so like kind and like so touching of like what he did that you do kind of start to get choked up. And it was really cool seeing those like special highlighted moments in his career that are just so above and beyond that it really gets to you. Um, but the movie isn't like sad. It's like so happy you kind of like tear up. Cool. So that's Won't You Be My Neighbor. Uh, what did you give that on Letterboxd? I gave that uh, three and a half stars um, because it is so like 
pure oh, and clean and well done, but I don't think it necessarily went like too far above and beyond as far as like style or telling that daring of a story for a documentary. So I think three and a half is kind of a good medium. You're pretty brutal, Brandon. Hey, three and a half is good. <laughs> like, you know, it's good, but like everything you said about it leading up to that, I th- it definitely sounded like a four, four and a half. You know, it didn't take many chances. <laughs> it's just like stock footage. Yeah. Here's his career. It's beautiful. Um, but uh, there wasn't anything like specifically in it that was too intricate, intricate or daring, I guess, mm. as far as filmmaking I find- goes. I find it really hard to rate documentaries personally because there are a handful that are like really creative that subvert your expectations and, you know, surprise you on what can be done with documentary filmmaking. But most of them are just like, hey, that was a good real life thing. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. I think most are just around that three, three and a half area. Like it happened. It was interesting. Hmm. Um, moving on, I wanted to tell you guys about a movie called Upgrade. Um, it's a smaller movie. It's a sci-fi action film, kind of like a mix between, I want to say, like John Wick style action and I don't know, pretty pretty out there sci-fi concept. I mean, it's basically like uh, an episode of uh, Black Mirror, except. The movie fully embraces its concept and the action is absolutely crazy and exciting and just it goes all in on the sci-fi and it just it was a fun surprise for uh, for me this this month. Totally. And the sci-fi is super clever, like the way everything looks and the like the set design the way they live their lives, like in the future, it's just really well realized and everything looks real and the CGI is great. For such a small indie, I think this guy had to have been thinking this up for years and years because it's like a fully realized vision. This this movie could be, I think, a complete home run in so many aspects, and it is. I think the it just kind of deals with more fun and more dumb storyline beats than what would be in like a top 10 movie of the year but there's so much to love in this film and it kind of ends in like leading towards sequel territory and i'm so excited if this guy keeps going with uh, the series it would be amazing yeah so that movie is called upgrade i would recommend it to most people i think i gave it four stars i gave it four well uh that movie's upgrade it might still be in some theaters, but like I said, it was a smaller indie, and I think that it's uh, it's probably left theaters right now. So keep an eye open for when it comes out on Redbox and streaming. Uh, Brandon, what's the next movie you want to talk about? So the next film I saw is a film called American Animals. This film is a really amazing heist movie. It's kind of like a 85% real drama and 15% documentary. It cuts to these real characters who actually went to prison for this heist they tried to pull off while like telling a full, like high quality dramatic film. And it incorporates these like real interviews in really clever ways. The whole movie has like a great sophisticated style to it. And the tension as it builds up to this, what's kind of a cliche heist story is just 
off the charts and you get so invested and so into what's happening it it's really like masterfully done uh, I gave this movie four and a half stars I thought almost in every aspect it was it was nearly perfect and um, I I highly recommend it I can't wait for you guys to see it Wow, that sounds really interesting. I've I've yeah. only like heard of this movie by name, but um, yeah, that sounds really great. Also, fun fact: I think this is Movie Pass's first film that they're uh, that they're distributing. I thought that was Gotti. Well, this uh, yeah, could be could be. I both, think it's both. Yeah, and American Animals came out first. Yeah, Movie Pass Ventures distributed mm-hmm. American Animals. Yeah. Oh. Um, moving on, real quick, I wanted to bring up, I watched a few Netflix originals this month, and they were some of the worst movies I've seen all year. You know, uh, I've said that before with another Netflix original. Gosh, I can't even remember what it was called. Do you remember that movie I, I brought up like three months ago? It was like a time travel movie on Netflix. I saw that a few months ago, and I said that was one of the worst movies I've seen this year. Might be the worst going forward. And Cloverfield um, Paradox was definitely the worst movie I've seen this year so far. Yep. Right, and um, oh, which you have right there. Yeah, Mute is supposed to be really bad. Um, like I watched like 15 minutes of Mute and like couldn't get through it, so I turned it off. But like I saw these two movies, Dude and The Kissing Booth, and like. Both were, you know, I wasn't expecting a lot from either of them. They both were, like, you know, teen dramas. And I don't know why I, like, was, I don't, I just was, like, bored or something. I just, like, turned them on. And, um, yeah, they just both were, like, Dude was a lot better than The Kissing Booth in that, like, it actually was dealing with some big themes and, like, you know, worthwhile, like, teen drama. But The Kissing Booth was just, like, the biggest pile of garbage. Like, it just was the most ordinary, like, boring, and, um, I just wanted to bring them up, like, not because I need to throw these movies on the bus, or because they're interesting, or anything like that, I just, I just wanted to bring up that I feel like Netflix is not doing so well in their movies right now, like, last year at this time, I feel like there were a few movies that were worthwhile from Netflix, I mean, it's six months into the year, I remember last year there was I Don't Believe in This World Anymore as a big standout, like, Oakjaw came out around this time, and like, I don't feel I like, at home in this world anymore. Is that what I said? No, you said believe. I don't believe in this world. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Yeah, and they just, um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like Netflix is just putting out like a lot of a lot of crap right now with their original yeah. movies. Oakjaw was so good. Right. Bright came out this year too, though. Right. Bright came out the end of last year, like in yeah, December. Gross. And that was really bad. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't really watch TV shows that much, so I don't really know how they're doing on the TV show front. But They're coming out with Glow Season 2. Um, Glow's good. Glow's really good. Yeah, there, there's a few that, that are pretty, really good for television. But just last year, like, I had, like, a competitive top five Netflix originals. You know, like, you know, I could have made a top ten. Like, oh, there's at least ten quality Netflix movies that have come out. And this year, I, I don't think there's been any. Like, I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe I just haven't seen them. But if, if someone out there can recommend a good Netflix original for this year, I, I'm, I'd love to watch it. But just, you know, there, I just, I'm just, Netflix, what are you doing, man? Like, how come there's no good original movies this year? What's happening? Yeah, it's just becoming so much content that they're buying 
that you no longer can just watch it because it's a Netflix movie, you have to you have to research first before you click it. Mm-hmm. Cuz there's no guarantee. Yeah. Unlike previously Meyerowitz stories and all that, like it it was oh, a yeah, stamp of quality, but not anymore. I gave both I think I gave Dude a star and a half and I think I gave The Kissing Booth one star. Ooh. So yeah. <laughs> Brutal. Damn. Moving on. Uh Brandon, what's the next movie you want to tell us about? So I saw this little indie dramedy called Hearts Beat Loud. Oh yeah. I saw a trailer for it's, that. It looks really cool. It's starring uh Nick Offerman and it heavily takes place in this Brooklyn neighborhood called Red Hook, which is kind of a fun area to go to that the subway doesn't go. So it's kind of like this untouched little corner by the water. And it deals a lot with like writing music and this really great father-daughter relationship and dynamic. I'd say this movie like could so easily in almost every other scene have gone into like cheesy it could have yeah it could have gotten sappy in almost every other scene but right before they do they'll either cut away or they'll salvage it and i was just impressed over and over again throughout this movie that they're taking such a lighthearted concept but doing it so well and i think this is going to be like one of my top like movies just to recommend to people because i can't see anyone walking away from this movie hating it it's just like such a feel good little indie Great. Um, how many stars do you give that one? I gave it a really solid four stars. So that movie is Hearts Beat Loud. It's currently playing in select theaters, like it's playing at the Civ Cinema Uptown right now in Seattle. So now we're going to move on to our featured reviews. Up first, we're going to talk about Incredibles 2. Real quick, I'm going to read the description of it. Elastigirl springs into action to save the day while Mr. Incredible faces his greatest challenge yet, taking care of the problems of his three children. This stars Craig T. Nelson, Holly Hunter, Samuel Jackson, Bob Odenkirk, Catherine Keener, and was written and directed by Brad Bird. So, uh, Sean, what are your yeah. first initial thoughts of Incredibles 2? Um, my initial thoughts were... Uh, I love this movie. I gave it right off the bat. As soon as the movie was over, I pulled up Letterbox and popped in a four and a half stars. Um, I thought this movie was a ton of fun, an absolute blast to see. Uh, there were so many great action uh, set pieces and all the different characters were doing so many interesting and, and fresh things with their powers Thinking about the movie afterwards, you kind of realize that there were there were a lot of plot problems, and um, you realize that there wasn't a whole lot to the movie, and that a lot of the decisions that they made for the movie uh, didn't serve the movie well. But that I, I, that definitely doesn't take away how much fun I thought the movie was. Brandon, what are your? Uh, you just watched Incredibles one. Uh, what did you think about Incredibles two? Yeah, I saw Incredibles 1 the night before, and I think one of the coolest things they do with this movie is how, like, I don't know, how long has it been? 13 years? And they start this movie the moment after Incredibles 1 ends, which is nearly impossible to do unless it's an animated film, because, Mm -hmm. like, half of the cast here are little children that you'd never be able to shoot 
13 years later. Um, so that is, it's like such a great back-to-back movie to watch, and I'm really happy I did that. For these films, I guess like comparing them a little, I think Incredibles 1 is a better film. And I think Incredibles 1 is a much simpler film. And that's probably why it's a little stronger. Um, because there's not that many areas in that movie where it can really like falter. However, I think Incredibles 2, for how much more ambitious it was, was still so well done. And it had some moments that were just unbelievable for an animated movie. Sean, you brought up like the action set pieces. This movie has mm. better action than I've seen in like film in years. Like there yeah. is some fucking good action moments. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, the crazy strobe light scene, the like train chase, like those are awesome, yeah. like <laughs> superhero uh, set pieces. So that was that was so fun to watch for an animated movie. Brilliant. And only like Brad Bird can put something that elaborate together. Though I, I do think there like I do have some big more overall issues, kind of like you hinted at before, um, that are keeping it down a little bit. And usually with sequels, people always feel the need to go bigger um, and push the story in a lot more directions. And I think that kind of set this movie back a little bit because they were trying to like overreach in some aspects. But overall, I loved it, and I think it's a great movie. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I liked this movie a lot. I, I guess I'm kind of with you guys totally. Um, I thought this movie wasn't as good as the first one, but it did what makes sequels work. Like, it, it to me, it did kind of the same thing that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 did, in that it didn't go that much bigger, but what it did was it spent more time on the dynamics between the characters. And so they kind of went deeper into the characters and how they related to each other and what sort of family means to to them. And, and then it kind of went on a new adventure and new scenarios. And, um, I mean, I thought having to be 14 years, like, even though they made the movie 14 years later, have it started up right where it left off. I thought that was a really creative choice that totally worked for it. Um, I felt like it didn't really miss a beat in that. I liked the creative way it started off with showing the footage from the, you know, what happened right before, um, and I mean, I just, I just really loved the family dynamic. I mean, my, my favorite parts were, it was when Mr. Incredible had to stay at home with the kids, you know, even though all he wanted to do was go out and fight crime again, he, but he had to be a supportive husband. And, uh, at first he was really bad at it, but he, you know, worked on being better and he, uh, kind of learned how to be more supportive and you know, take care of the kids better. And yeah, just for me, you know, I'm going to be a father soon. And it was, it was kind of, it was kind of awesome seeing that, you know, like he's, you know, traditionally he'd be the one going out and getting the job or, or going out and fighting the crime. And, you know, M- Mrs. Incredible, Elastigirl, she's, she's amazing. Like she's an amazing mom and she's an amazing superhero. And so she's out doing the superhero stuff and, you know, he's, He's kind of a big dork, big weirdo, and he kind of has to, like, struggle with being contained and, you know, being a father. And um, he, like, works on it, though, and, and gets better. And I just thought that was, like, a really admirable, like, storyline to have. 
and mm. I I liked seeing. Um, yeah, he just, basically does. Yeah, he doesn't do anything for ninety five percent of the movie as far as like superhero goes. He he is like such a stay at home. Like he's such a stay at home dad, and he doesn't bust out his powers until the very final act of the film. Yeah, and I mean that joke that's in the trailer where he's yelling at the math book, like, "Why would they change math? Math <laughs> is math." Like that—that that is just like one of the funniest scenes to me. It's like pure dad, you know. Like everyone's had that moment. <laughs> it's just uh, so yeah. I, I normally do not don't really like babies in uh, these kind of animated movies. I think they're pretty obnoxious like i'm thinking um you know boss baby uh, baby geniuses type thing like it's normally it, it that kind of thing does not work at all for me but jack jack was so funny in this movie and like all the it, it seemed like every scene with him there was something new and fun that he was doing that was just out of control and hilarious and it just like for some reason, I mean, because they're they're so talented, uh, but it just it all worked and uh, it didn't bother me at all. Yeah, Jack Jack's scene with the raccoon is like one of the highlights yeah. of the entire film. Yeah, or like one of the that, best action scenes of the movie, even compared yeah. to what Elastigirl like yeah. does later on. Uh huh. But this this does kind of lead into a critique I have that I haven't heard anyone really talk about, so I'm interested what you guys think of it. I like Jack Jack is like the best one of the best characters in the movie and all of his scenes are so fun to watch. And then for me personally, we got to the climax where like again the family is together and I was looking for Jack Jack to have a big moment and I feel mm-hmm. like they didn't give it to him and we probably spent like there were so many countless scenes of just watching Jack Jack and his powers developing. And yeah. I'm kind of like mind boggled why they didn't give him like this big climactic like moment right there at the end. Yeah. He almost had a bigger uh, climactic, you know, climactic ending in the first one where like. Absol- yeah, absolutely. Exactly. He's being taken away by syndrome and then, you know, uses his powers. I was kind of, yeah. I was shocked that they didn't go there. Well, I think they didn't guys. do that with. All the characters, though, too, like they didn't have a a big fun family moment in the at the end of the movie where the 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 family comes together and they like they use their powers together and they they take out the bad guy. Um, there was a lot of those kind of moments that I I feel like the movie didn't have, especially towards the end. I thought it was a little front heavy, like as, as far as the action scenes. I don't know, guys. Jack Jack is still a baby, though, right? <laughs> Like, they spent so much yeah. time with for, him, though. From a so character, so many scenes. I know. I hear you yeah. from a plot standpoint, but from a character standpoint, he still is a baby. Right. Right. Logically <laughs> yeah. speaking, you're not gonna, you're not gonna yeah. bring a baby into battle. You know. But like, they. But there's they that did, scene where I, that, there's that's the a scene big where they purposefully the leave her behind, leave the baby behind, though. Like Violet is like, "Hey, I have a shield power. I'm gonna hang out with the baby because." battles aren't safe for babies right See, that's that was undercut by the scene in the car before that where they're trying to figure out what's their best like course of action with with the three kids and they're going through what they have and then at the very end of that moment they look back at jack jack as if it's some big reveal 
or some big like yeah. great ticking time bomb for the climax. And then because about, the in the in the like car the very end the, of the movie before that before they head to the climax, they're like we got our in, powers. In the the Incredible or whatever. Yeah, and the Incredible. Incredible. And right before they decide to like go speed off to rescue their parents, they look back at Jack Jack and they're like, But we got Jack Jack's powers. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But then right when they get to the like, boat, they like lock him and they try to lock him in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then like that whole action scene, the kids get there and you think that they're going to do something really, you know, fun, but they're like kind of. I guess we're talking about end of the movie, but they're just kind of chasing around Jack Jack for a, that most of that ending sequence. Yeah, and yep. it's just that's like my it, critique as well. Yeah, yeah. So you guys I, didn't I think to, the climax was that great? This is kind of what yeah. it sounds like. Yeah. Um, okay. Yes, I mean, ex- except for yeah. the the uncrushed joke. I I was like laughing oh, yeah. so hard. I was trying to hold it in to not like ruin like the following scene for the people sitting next to me. Like that joke got to me so hard. Yeah. The movie was really funny. And it was really funny all the way through through the end too. <clears throat> there are a lot of great moments. Uh Yeah, I also felt like the villain was pretty weak too. I, like there wasn't I liked I, I liked the villain a lot from an aesthetic standpoint. Like I, th- I thought what the villain did was uh, pretty, pretty cool. Like uh, the way he looked and his his action, mm. mind control and stuff. I thought all of that was like really well done. And then uh, for me, like when the movie ended, Andrew looked at us and you know we were talking about the movie, and Andrew goes, uh, "So what was the villain's motivation?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, that's uh, that's a good point." Yeah, I have a lot. I have a lot more to say about um, the villain and and uh, about that whole thing, but it, it gets into spoilers. So. Yeah, and you and you and you'd just be regurgitating the slash film cast anyway. So um. yeah, pretty much. Anyway, so yeah. let's uh, let's move on to the next movie. So basically, uh, we all liked it a lot. Um, just it sounds like uh, you guys thought there were some problems with it that made it not as good as the first movie. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the next movie we wanted to talk about was Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Um, this is the sequel to the first Jurassic World movie. Um, real quick, I'll read the plot summary. A volcanic eruption threatens the remaining dinosaurs on the island of Isla Nubar, where the creatures have freely roamed for several years after the demise of an animal-themed park known as Jurassic World. Claire Daring, the former park manager, has now founded the Dinosaur Protection Group, an organization dedicated to protecting the dinosaurs. To help her cause, Claire has recruited Owen Grady, a former dinosaur trainer who worked at the park, to prevent extinction of the dinosaurs once again. Does anyone have anything positive to say about the movie? Yeah, I do. I do. Okay. I I hated it, but I, I have some positive stuff to say. Well, I mean, okay, so I think for me, like, uh... The plot was totally ludicrous. Like, it was, like, a ridiculous, like, like crazy, out there, you know, what the hell is happening sort of plot. I think that even if you accept that the plot is crazy in that way, it still, um, it still 
wasn't that contained of a plot. Like, like Armageddon. Like, I'm going to compare this to Armageddon because Armageddon also has a really crazy, ridiculous, what the hell is happening plot. But it's, in my opinion, it's coherent in that. And there's characters that you care about and you're able to just be like, okay, so this is fun. It's crazy. It sticks, it sticks with it and, like, it buys into it itself. Yeah. And, I mean, I definitely think Jurassic World does that is you know it it it's all in on the genetic testing like it's all in <laughs> on the genetic testing um but i think it's also filled with plot holes you know and i mean sure armageddon probably has plot holes too but like not as many as this movie this movie from like scene to scene there's plot holes like it's like how did they get from here to here that doesn't make sense you know how did they get from here to here that doesn't make sense like there's just a lot of things that in the context of the movie just don't make sense. Um, that being said, I think this movie's pretty well directed. Like, I think that individual scenes in the movie are pretty good. Like, there's um, some really great dinosaur fights. Like, when the T-Rex is yelling and fighting off other dinosaurs, it's pretty cool. You know, there's, um, there's a scene that's a closed space scene where they have to get some blood from the T-Rex. He's, like, in a cage and they're getting blood from him. I thought that was, like, a really well-done scene full of, like, like a lot of suspense and humor. Like, it was, like, I thought that was a good scene. There's a, there's a really fun sequence with the Pachycephalosaurus that, where he's rammed into the walls and stuff. That I thought was really fun. Um, so I, I, I thought the what movie... What was it called? What? The, the Pachycephalosaurus, you know, he's the, he's the one with the big, uh, big head yeah. that ramps things. Well, nice. <laughs> I just didn't know people <laughs> knew what that thing was called. Well done. Good job, man. I hope, I hope that's right. And I'm not just like <laughs> making shit up, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just, I thought there that scene to scene, uh, there were some really good scenes. Um, and yeah. I think that I think that's a pretty fun time at the movies. Like if you're if you're into dinosaur fights, like I think that you'd I think that you'd like it. Um, I don't think it's a great movie, but it, it was certainly better than Jurassic World one. Um, mm-hmm. Brandon, what about you? So it is certainly better than Jurassic World one. Uh, just like Incredibles, <laughs> I watched Jurassic World one the night before, and. Not only is that movie like just as ridiculous and bad on the like storyline and the logic gaps, but it's also it was way just like cheaper than I remember it. And Colin Trevolo, Trevorrow is just such a bland, not not interesting director. And yeah, that Jurassic World one like really bothered me on a scene to scene basis. However, Jurassic World 2, while I think it's a terrible film, I think the director did like a really fantastic job with what he had and even put together some like pretty memorable moments that kind of stand out to me Um, as like dumb and horrible as the bedroom scene is on a conceptual level. um, I think it was really cool, like how fun or like how playful he got with the cinematography and with the way like that scene was staged, um, the like, what is it Brachiosaurus? I can't name that. The long neck dinosaur. When it was like walking, Brachiosaurus. Yes. Uh, when it was walking out to the edge of the pier, like that was a oh, pretty yeah. traumatic, like yeah. beautiful looking <laughs> shot. I was like, holy yeah. shit, they went there, yeah. and that looked 
crazy good. Um, it was and like one emotional you mention, for a second. It was like yeah, totally it was like emotional. Kind of traumatic. Oh, they're leaving the they're leaving the dinosaur behind. He's gonna get burned up by the volcano. Yeah, oh. it's it's silhouette in the steam, like and the way the uh, lava like lit it up orange behind it. It it looked crazy good. Uh, also, the scene with the uh, sphere cube going off the edge of the cliff into the water, and um, and the like single shot they did of them like almost drowning. Yeah, in yeah, the that glass. Was a really good sequence. Yeah. With like the uh, the lava still shooting in, the dinosaurs falling all around them, like Chris Pratt and hit in the shoulder by like probably some like volcanic rock that was still burning hot. Um, all in one shot, like that. Like all these things are really visionary, and this is clearly a good director just working with just the stupidest script you could possibly have. Yeah, uh, Sean, what about you? Um, I felt almost nothing while watching this movie. I don't think any of the jokes in this movie landed. Uh, I wasn't excited or exhilarated by any of the action scenes. There was like, yeah, I, I see that, that Brachiosaurus scene that, um, that was kind of, that, that was pretty good. And I, th- I thought it was really strange. Maybe I didn't watch the right trailers, but I thought it was really weird to, to have not even the first act of the movie or probably the first act of the movie on the island. And then they just leave to go to this really boring uh, man- mansion. Like it, it seemed really strange to leave the island where seemingly so much could happen and, the, and there was so much... Um, that you could do there but then they just kind of they leave that all behind and for this really yeah see i thought uninteresting i thought that part was pretty interesting actually i mean this was this is the only jurassic park movie where the plot isn't we're stuck on the island and there's dinosaurs Uh that are going to kill us and so for me getting off the island real quick and having it turn into this you know, crazy, you know, genetic plot where they're selling dinosaurs at a underground auction for millions of dollars, although not enough millions of dollars there, you know, that, that to me at least was something different that made the movie a little more fresh to me. Like if they were again, just like on the Island trying to figure out how to survive, but get the dinosaurs off, it would have just been, it would have just been like another Jurassic park movie. This at least was a departure. I I think um, kind of in between the two, I think it was they were at the mansion for a long time, and I think it was actually like a kind of interesting decision to put so much of the movie in such a confined space. And if it had been any other director, it probably would have been even worse. But they pro they probably should have added another place for the climax. Like they were in that mansion yeah. for a good maybe fifty minutes of the film, and it was it was like a weird place to stick your characters for so much of a movie. Well, on a plot level, it doesn't really make sense that they were at the mansion either. Like, I mean, I don't really want to get too far straight, into straight yeah. to that mansion. <laughs> there was yeah, nothing right. in between. 
And that's like I don't know why they had to have that facility at the at that mansion. I mean, yeah, we're getting we're getting into the you know details of the plot right now. It might be confusing for you know we're not trying to do spoilers here, but you know it didn't really. They could have had that facility anywhere. I wonder how much better version of this movie would be if they just dropped the genetic enhancing aspect of the film. Yeah. There is only like maybe two scenes that actually comes into play and they're and they're so bad like when the dinosaur wakes up when the guys in the cage. But besides that, like if they just got rid of that batshit crazy genetic enhancing part of the story and just had it be like real down-to-earth dinosaurs like Jurassic Park 1 and 2. I wonder how much uh-huh. that would improve the like realism and intensity of the film. Yeah, you know, I hear that. I hear that. But I'm I'm going to be that guy who says like I I think that that's what these movies are and I think that that's okay. <laughs> like I think that you know these movies are now about this genetic thing and I for one am pretty excited about the next one where it's going to be like <sighs> Jurassic War. You know, I'm so <laughs> sad to say that I am kind the of excited of the for the third one as well. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have, it's going to be an all out, like, you know, the different, like, Russia's going to have their dinosaur army, like, uh, um, United States is going to have their dinosaur army, they're just going to have, you know, they're just going to go to war on each other, it's going to be crazy. <laughs> uh, that sounds like Jurassic World 4 or 5, I don't think we're quite army yeah. material yet. Right, the next one's going to be more the Fast like and just Furious to... crossover. <laughs> right like imagine yes. that dom dom toretto driving alongside of a t-rex you know man that's gonna be pretty sweet too <laughs> but for for me the whole genetic uh you know cautionary tale about the dangers of genetic engineering is just really eye-rolly and uh it's it's it felt kind of preachy and i didn't think they were preaching a single bit maybe i missed that I mean, I see the parallel, of oh, course. Like the Clearly whole, it got out of hand, but I didn't necessarily see anything breachy about whole, it. The um, whole uh, Malcolm, uh, what's his name? Um, Jeff Goldblum, whatever his name is. Like his whole speech was that's what it was all about. If we don't rein in our... Oh, right, right. The book ends. You know, right. Yeah. I think we can't end this review without bringing up how... <laughs> morally fucked the last five minutes of the movie is and how Hmm. (laughs) unless they're like and they're not going to but none of the characters are going to be reconciled for it and just how much they like doomed everything just by making that decision and i don't think the movie's Mm -hmm. like concerned about that at all i'm trying to be a little vague here but you guys know what i'm talking about i i I don't so and that's another problem I had with the movie with that ending because they're they're clearly trying to go somewhere with that and set up a sequel but I like I didn't buy that at all either like I don't know you can get into I don't want to get into spoilers but like that doesn't make any that ending doesn't make any sense to set up a sequel Maybe they just have more like vegan priority morality than they do like human life of the planet morality. <laughs> yeah. Well, that seemed well, to be the I way they were that, going. 
I think that like we can't have this conversation because yeah, we're not I, doing spoilers yeah, because there's a very yeah. key part about what you're talking about. Like uh, a certain character like did that certain thing because that certain character is who that certain character is and but how the other she was character created. Contemplated it. <laughs> yeah, but that's okay. Yeah. It's okay to contemplate things and Jesus even Christ. like. Well, they don't know exactly what's going to happen. Like, if, you know, like, that's, like, the whole thing with Jurassic Park is, like, on... It's a pretty surface-level movie with a, like, you know, pseudo-deep concept of, like, you know, what's going to happen when the dinosaurs, you know, come back. And, you know, they, they, they like to tease that concept, but they don't actually like to, you know, really, you know, really talk about it, really, like say what the implications would be or anything. And I don't know, that's kind of how I took that ending was that it was like, okay, well that character made that choice and now there's going to be more movies. So I don't yeah. know. I, d- I think that's, yeah, that's probably 98% of the reason why they did it. Cause it was, I mean, it's, I'm excited for the third one, even though how much I hated that last moment, the third one's probably going to be the best way to take the direction of the series. Okay, so real quick, uh, was this movie fun, though? Like, was it fun? Would you recommend it? I thought it was a little long. It should have been, it could have easily been 20 minutes shorter. I think I would have had a more pleasant experience. I would never recommend it. Um, But there was enough, like, visual moments that kept me um, interested in watching. Uh, No for me. No, it wasn't fun. No, you wouldn't recommend it. I no, correct. Um, yeah, I would say it was pretty fun. And if you're looking for just like, you know, dinosaurs at the box office, it it delivers in that way. But it's also not a very good movie. So I gave it two stars. I did too. Um, I gave it two and a half. But I almost <gasps> get. I almost gave it three. <laughs> I almost gave it three. Anyway, so that's Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. It's in theaters now. So uh, this is our, we're going to talk about one more movie, and we're gonna, we are going to talk about our first thoughts on it, and then we're going to go into spoilers. Um, that movie is the new A twenty four movie, Hereditary. It's a horror film starring Tony Collette and a few other people. Um, Brandon, do you want to talk about your experience with this movie? Yeah, I had a really weird, weird time watching this film. Um, So I was really looking forward to this because I heard a lot of hype for it. But it has been a long time since I've been in this disruptive of a theater. And Hmm. it, it honestly, like, I don't even know what to think of the film because I was so distracted and also getting, like, so internally, like, annoyed. And the fact that, like, I couldn't say anything, they were too far away, and I couldn't just, like, tap on their shoulder in front of me or something. And it wasn't just, like, one group. Like, people were laughing, people were shouting all throughout the theater, and I was so frustrated. Um, so I actually didn't even, like, review this movie yet. And I don't too often like rewatch movies the same year, but this is one movie as soon as I can, I'm going to go out and check it, check out again. And I'm pretty excited to, um, I think I, I don't know if this movie was scary or not because I was so taken out of the experience. 
And I'm curious to see if we can make sense of any of the plot details or even if it's worth trying to make sense of. But there's clearly an amazing like visual eye on this film. And there's some absolutely brilliant scenes that were just jaw-droppingly crafted uh, that we can't talk about until we get into spoilers. Um, so that's kind of where I am at at this movie. Okay. Interesting. Um, do you want to talk more about how distracting it was? Like specifically or yeah i mean there's just there's just people who there were just like a handful of people who thought like it was their job to be like comedians throughout the film you know and wow and i think yeah, also the film completely lost the audience in the second half when it's really mattered and nobody cared at all at that point and just everyone was just like laughing and shouting and and it just like turned into a mess in the theater. Sean, what do you think? What were what were your thoughts of the movie? Um, yeah, I really liked it, and I think as I think about it more, I'm uh, I'm liking it even more uh, conceptually. I think um, right off the bat it, with this movie, it was a I I felt like it was a little clunky, and there was some weird dialogue and some weird moments, um, and I. I was um, jolted into uh, getting in, uh, emotionally getting into this movie really quick with that one scene, um, which I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And if you see the movie, you'll know what I'm talking. It happens very quickly, and it like the movie takes a, a turn. And from that point on, I was really into it. Um, for a, for most of the rest of the movie, um, I think the movie kind of slows down and dawdles a little bit at parts uh, in the middle. Um, but the ending, um, people are talking about it a lot. It really worked for me. Um, I'm not going to say anything more than that. Uh, but yeah, I, I liked the movie. Really enjoyed it. I was it, we saw it in a. For, for some reason, I was wearing shorts and a T-shirt and, and sandals in the theater. And it, I was freezing cold while watching the movie. But the movie was so intense and so scary that I was sweating. Um, <laughs> and, like, for me, the all the horror worked really, really well. Um, there were scenes in the movie that um, I, I felt... Like, oh, this has been done before. And then when they actually get into the scenes, I was, you know, very quickly realized that they were doing it uh, in a very new and interesting way. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a brilliantly put together movie. Um, the the direct the direction is is pretty top notch, especially for a first time director. Um, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And the, the acting, Tony Collette was uh, pretty incredible. Um, yeah. Let's do um, it. I think I'm mostly with Sean. I think I'm mostly with Sean on this one. Um, maybe a little less enthusiastic about it. Um, it was definitely not at all the movie that I thought it was going to be. Like, it took a lot of twists and turns that I was not expecting. And, like, in the middle, it was really just sad and not really much of a horror movie at all. Like, I kind of forgot that I was watching a horror movie, and 
it was just like a really just like sad family drama. Like it was like Manchester by the sea there for, for a little bit. And, uh, yeah, then the horror like picked up big time. Um, and like, I personally kind of lost my fear. Like I, I told Sean, like at some point I stopped really being afraid of the movie, but I was still really giddy and excited about it. Like I was on the edge of my seat with just like watching the horror kind of come together. And I was like, I wonder how they're going to scare us. You know, I was just kind of excited about it. Less scared than excited, less scared, more excited, but um, I still think that a lot of things would scare people, and I will be honest that it has, like, stayed with me in that, like, I'll turn off the light at night, and then I'll look down the hallway, and I'll be like, huh, and I'll think I'll see something, but obviously nothing's there, but, like, I'm, it's because I just watched a really scary movie, and it's stuck in my head. Yeah, so I think it was a very effective horror movie, um... Anyway, I would recommend it for people who like horror movies. It was really creative. It wasn't one of my favorites, but I definitely thought it had a lot of really interesting ideas in it and a lot of creativity. So um, so we're going to go into spoilers now because this movie had a lot of crazy stuff happen in the ending and we want to sort it out. So uh, we're going into spoilers. Spoilers for Hereditary. Uh, you know, Stop listening if you don't want to be spoiled. So, spoilers starting now. I want to talk about, like, how good the direction of the horror moments were. The one that sticks out to me is the first scary moment in the movie, which is the, like, still ghost in the attic. Yeah. Um, Is that moment in the attic when you see the ghost just, like, of her mother there faded in the dark corner. Um, right when I saw that, like, it just made me freeze and nothing even comes of it or happens in that scene. She just turns on the lights and it's gone, but like visually Mm -hmm. it's perfect. The, like the way later on, just like the glass moves across the table or the like little gust of wind, like blows across her hair. It, it gets like the detail and the camera movement so perfectly that it just feels like super grounded even though you're like watching a paranormal like event happening. Yeah. Um, um, and yeah, that yeah, kept that, happening over and over again in the movie. Like it kind I, of uh, believe in ghosts a little bit. <laughs> Just, yeah. I think it's one of the, one of the best realizations of like paranormal events. Yeah. Um, I've seen in I, a long time. That That's the scene I was talking about. The, um, the scene that I thought was a little kind of cli- might have gone a little cliche like a seance scene We've seen it a million times before in horror movies um but yeah i i as soon as they got into it it, it proved to be very scary and and really unique and their, her reaction to what was going on yeah. holy crap her acting is so yeah. good she like she's uh-huh. just so normal she can't believe it's happening uh uh-huh. But she's still seeing it in in front of her eyes, um, mm-hmm. and and we have to talk about the decapitation scene. There's so many yeah. choices in the in those four minutes that are unbelievable. The like what you see and what you don't see, and the like 
the kids acting and him like barely looking up in the rearview mirror, but then just looking straight forward and driving home, like all that. Oh my God, I could not believe they went there and that they didn't even show it for five minutes. I heard that horrible shot of her head. Uh, That was like absolutely ingenious. Yeah, I really yeah. liked the part before that where she was banging her head against the wall trying to get in. I thought that was like a really stark image of just like, just, you know, a. a oh, wait, no, I'm just... talking about the car. Oh, oh, shoot. Sorry. I thought you were yeah, talking about but the that. End. But your scene, too, yeah, where she's, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> fucking slicing her gullet open with like a fish wire. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, your scene too. Like, I mean, I liked how the head was covered in ants, and then they brought that back later on with in her dream, where the the uh, the sun's head had ants coming out of it. Like, uh, that was that was really good. The gasoline yeah. dripping down her forehead uh, at the very end of the dream sequence, and right when you realize what's going on, it just cuts. Mm-hmm. As soon as like it, yeah, the gasoline like really starts pouring down, and it's you realize it's not sweat. Yeah. So I thought some of it was a little silly, though. You know, like uh, I thought the movie did trail off into like silliness a little bit in the end. Like, you know, when like okay, so that moment that I was talking about earlier, where the body was in the corner when the son woke up, he looks around, and she's like just like floating in the corner of the room. And the, like everyone jumped, and then I jumped, um, and then and then she kind of like swims away in the air, and like that part, the swimming away in the air, was kind of silly, you know. And the way it looked, or what what was happening, both. Like yeah, the way it looked okay. and what was happening, it just was like okay, so this is silly, you know? And yeah. like, I mean, Toby, we saw it with, you know, my friend Toby and Toby said that he was like, when, once like they can do anything, like it loses a lot of stakes, you know? So hundred percent agree. And like, it's like, okay, so if they're just flying around, if there's naked people everywhere, if there's just like, you know, a cult, you know, just, okay. So our characters are going to lose. They're going to get tortured. They're going to die. Like, we can just accept that at this point. Like, it, like, loses all tension of, like, worrying about the characters because just, like, okay, well, they're dealing with, you know, unstoppable supernatural creatures and, okay, game over sort of thing. Yeah, while the movie was progressing, I was thinking to myself, like, I was having such a hard time keeping track of, like, what paranormal events this, like, this demon could actually do. And I and it it never repeated. It just kept doing new things every time they wanted to scare you. And it it was felt like a really strange like decision. I mean, from the very beginning of like it appearing as an apparition in the attic to like the bird flying into the window to like the kid like looking at his reflection, even though that scene was great, like the kid looks at his reflection and then something looks back at him and smiles and then it smashes his head against the like desk well, and then it's there's that like, like one fla- there's that flashing yeah. light that's like going all over that the flashing room and you're fucking like light yeah yeah i mean like, that was pretty one silly. after another there's just new concepts being like thrown at you and none of them relate to each other there's like n- it's not grounded with i guess rules of the world well and that's why like <clears throat> the ending is like kind of like so crazy and so out there because like you know it doesn't really 
the movie doesn't really like give you like a trail to follow up until like like to know what's happening until you you don't really know what's happening at the end until like the final thing is happening and then you're like oh okay so it's like and they're in a cult and I shouldn't say occult it's like a cult it's okay it's witchcraft and they're doing this crazy thing and it's it's still pretty confusing to me because I mean, I think I've deciphered what happens at the end, but it's pretty confusing because they don't really, they don't really uh, uh, let you go along with it. They just kind of throw it all, throw it all together. So I'm actually a little confused at what people are confused about. I thought walking out, I, and I still thinking about. I don't. I, I thought it was maybe not not necessarily self-explained. Like I don't know how you know she was flying or whatever, but I don't. I thought it it all fit together really uh, well. Well, tell me why cleanly. when she throws the book in the fire, it burns her arm. Like there there really aren't rules. Like that was just the demon set her on fire, and then when she tried to burn the book, she it's set him on the fire. Uh, the guy him on fire. It's a it's a conscious being. It's not like whereas they thought that it, it there were all these rules, and that was another thing that I I in the moment I didn't really like um, like thinking if we destroy this book, the spirits attached to the book, and then and that's kind of a cliche, um, you know, uh, supernatural thing. But then it like just kind of was like no, there's not really rules for that. Like why would that be the case? Like the book you know she needs the book the spirit needs the book to stay there or the demon needs the book to stay that doesn't really make any sense they definitely sense. needed it to so summon like, it well they they needed the book to summon it right but it's not attached like, to the book why why does it attach to the book like why does it like, why does the book care if it's burned or not and why isn't it just burning whoever it wants to begin with well why so what, how i saw the movie the fire to burn the guy how I saw the movie, and and this might be kind of a criticism of the movie, is that once the the demon was summoned, the movie turned from like a story about the fam- like from family dealing with grief to, um, and then like uh, the, this cult or this um, this devil worshiping witchcraft cult. Uh, try setting up all these things to try and get the spirit of their demon leader into this new body and it turned to okay that's all that's done it's already happened now this is just kind of the process of that spirit invading this body and that's kind of how i saw the last part of the movie was it in his body as soon as the seance happened no, it was well, it, how, they summoned how come it, it and from then on back at him and then smashed his face into a desk. Well, it, it's it's simply the process of it wiggling its way. And I, I I don't have a good descriptive words, but it's just like there's a supernatural process from once the the demon was summoned to for that demon to fully be I don't know for lack of better words absorbed by his by the body and that was just kind of this gross disgusting disturbing terrifying process mm-hmm. of for the rest of the movie. i thought it was a fair fairly simple and i 
um, yeah, I don't. Well, right. What about? That's, I mean, that's a good the, exclamation, but and then after that, it has the problem, like you agree with, with it just being random. Well, what yeah, about the? And, what and, about the girl though? Like, so the demon first went into the girl, and then the girl and the demon went into the boy. Well, so she is. She is like the Antichrist. Um, she is. No, the Antichrist is in her. Well, she. I. Well, the way I read it, read it, and I think maybe if you did more research, my guess is is that this kind, of, this demon or whatever it is, is based on some kind of uh, something that some kind of folklore. Yeah, I mean, it's like know, something that actually, paganism. yeah, wick some, yeah. Wiccan belief that um, it's that the movie is based on, and that so maybe if you looked into that more, you would know about understand the specifics. But it, that was actually the, the way I kind of saw it is like ended, the so anti, like so like the, the Antichrist. So like the the concept of the Antichrist is that it's kind of like Jesus, like Christ, where it's the devil incarnate born on Earth, right? It's um, like the this devil incarnate was was born as this girl, but then the her maybe they said like her body mm. was broken for whatever reason. No. So that they had to get the spirit of this this demon spirit of this girl into the the new. Sorry, Sean. The, I think you're I think you're missing yeah, some Sean. pieces because yeah, the um, they didn't go that. to the girl until the grandmother died because the grandmother was the uh, was the carrier of the demon. Well, so they said there was a suicide, right? What what was the other one you said? The the one grandfather the, the uncles was committed like, suicide. He thought he there was died. like humans inside of his stomach or something. No, that was yeah. the that was the son. Like or yeah, I guess an uncle, but like it'd yeah. be yeah, yeah, yeah. He th- he committed suicide because he said that the mom, his the grandma, was putting demons or putting people inside of her. Hmm. Yeah, and I think that was the the grandma originally was trying to get him to be the host, and he ended up killing himself or dying. Right. Oh yeah. We yeah. I think this so, is pulling hairs. Um, I mean, it's and, clearly yeah, we, confusing, we though, Sean. Like, it's clearly uh, like I. Th- I don't think it's fair for you to say that. You know, no, that I just it's, it's not confusing because okay. So for me, I think the movie maybe purposefully has a lot of red herrings. You know, like it makes you think it's going to go in a certain direction, but then it doesn't go in that direction. And I don't know if that's. I think it's purposeful, but like you know, for example, like you know, I, I from the beginning, the her the the doll the doll houses like the tiny furniture and houses that she makes like you you can't help but think like oh how is this going to play into it turns yeah, out it doesn't yeah. at all that's just her job uh, like that's just what she does yeah. you know um there's like there's like a few things like that like, just a creepy I, job yeah i kept thinking I that, that i kept thinking that the other lady you know the the lady with the welcome mat that helps summons her you know i kept thinking that she was going to she was trying to put her son into you know the the boys you know the main character boy's body like that's just why I kept thinking because it was like like I thought it was just like an idea of you know bringing people back and putting them into other people's bodies and that's why it was like oh he, the other guy committed suicide because of you know because of bodies or because people were being put inside of him and so right. 
I, 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 you know, so I, I think the movie had a lot of threads and it wanted you to think like, oh, maybe this is where it's going. Maybe this is where it was going. But it turns out that it had to do with this Antichrist and, you know, who knows how the Antichrist came back and who knows what the power, you know, what powers they really have because the movie doesn't really feel like it needs to explain, mm-hmm. you know, the specifics of those things. But, you know, that's what happened. Like, it turns out it's an Antichrist thing. It turns out that, uh, you know, the girl either was the Antichrist or is embodied with the Antichrist. And she took over her brother's body and they're all going to worship her. The end. <laughs> yep. <laughs> there's, there's, one, there's one moment that's so small, but it kind of is the one thing that really pisses me off because it's so random and unexplainable but they just threw it in there to like jab at everybody was earlier on in the film the telephone pole having the symbol of the cult on it well, I think as they were... if they could have <laughs> planned all that out yeah to purposely kill the daughter well i think that's what they were trying to like say is that some sort of supernatural like benevolent like like predestination sort of thing happened where like the girl was like, that's what was going to happen to the girl because that's what they planned super on a supernatural level. Like no explanation, but I think that's what they're trying to say. Was Okay. So you're thinking more on a supernatural level. Not that like these cult, these cult members are just people though. I figured they like, they etched that into the telephone pole. Yeah. Maybe they I did. didn't get any destiny vibes from this movie. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I feel like that's, like they they definitely wanted you to make a connection that you know that pole was benevolent on some level like that coal that pole was part of the cult and yeah. you know it helped contribute to you know all the bad things that happened that night but yeah i mean i guess this movie guess offers no, so, no explanations so that's one thing i don't um, that's a, a thing i don't understand uh, about the movie so i didn't notice that while i was watching the movie that that or I, I didn't it didn't um, you know mean anything to me at the time seeing that on the on the telephone pole, um, which is kind of weird because I I guess I read the movie as because at the end they said that your body was broken and so we we got you a new body, mm-hmm. but I don't I didn't realize while I was watching the movie that the entire time they were trying to get that to happen if they. They planned for her to die, to kill, you know, to have her her body die, and so that they could put it into the boy. Um, that's not w- what I thought was happening in the movie. I thought that her body was broken because he killed her, and so then the then it was these people trying to get that spirit into a new body. But that doesn't really make any sense with the telephone pole being marked or right. whatever that was saying. She, yeah, she was broken before then. It, it was unhappy yeah. being in her body. It didn't like yeah. it. Yeah, but I don't – yeah, I guess I don't know what that means or – Yeah, I'm just like – and they didn't even have to go there. I'm just like, fuck you for putting that symbol on that telephone pole. Like she could have just yeah. randomly died and it would have been fine. But no one mm-hmm. can explain that. You, writer, can't even explain that. Uh, it was summoning <laughs> destiny. I guess. Yeah. Anyway, um, so it sounds like we all thought the movie was really scary and creative. Just maybe the ideas yeah. came together better for some of us than 
than others. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It was it was brilliantly crafted, but script level stuff, which seems to be happening a lot. Well, I mean, I'd rather have I'd rather have like a lot of creative ideas and have it be like, you know, all over the place than than just bland, I guess. Blandness. Yeah, so. I'll agree. For sure. Like I, I, I'm happy this movie got made. I'm glad we saw it. You know, it's like I feel like we're in a really good place with horror movies right now. So you know, that's that's pretty cool. Like, it seems like there's just a lot of creative mm-hmm. ones that are coming out lately. So anyway, so that movie is hereditary. It's still in the theaters now. See it if you like horror movies. So now, real quick, we're gonna go through some movies that we're looking forward to that are coming out uh, next month. Or later this month, and uh, we're probably going to be talking about them on our next episode. So, um, I wanted to bring up Uncle Drew, that comes out June 29th. Um, this movie is really funny, and I can't believe it's a movie. Like, so, um, Uncle Drew started out as a Sprite commercial, and it was basically like Kyrie Irving, the NBA star, was in uh, old person makeup, and he went to the court, and he played basketball with a bunch of young people and just beat them really bad. And so when I first saw the commercial, when I saw the trailer for this movie, I thought, is this a real movie, or is it another commercial? But there there weren't, there wasn't any Sprite in the trailer at all, so I was like, what the hell's happening? Turns out it is a real movie. And there's a bunch of other basketball players in it, like Shaquille O'Neal and Reggie Miller and Nate Robinson and Chris Webber. But, like, Nick Kroll is in it, too, and Tiffany Haddish. I don't know. I just uh, I just think it looks really fun and ridiculous, Damn. and I'm, for some reason, really excited about it. So that, that, comes, out, um, that comes out June 29th. Yeah, and another film that comes out uh, June 29th is Sicario, Day of the Soldado. Um, this has a unknown quantity of a director. It's one of his first times. However, the writer is on a streak right now and did Sicario 1. He did Hell or High Water after that and then did Wind River. And so now this director is returning to do uh, the sequel to Sicario. Did I say director? This writer is returning to do the sequel to Sicario. So with that track record, I'm uh, pretty excited to watch it, to watch the sequel. Yeah, me too. Um, I mean, really, that's probably the more like important movie to see if you're going to see a movie on June 29th. But uh, yeah, Uncle Drew or Sicario, you know, you couldn't get more different. So <laughs> <laughs> um, on July 4th, The First Purge is coming out, which is the prequel to the Purge series. Um I, I actually really like these movies. Um, they're Blumhouse movies, so they're you know produced on small budgets, and then the concept is pretty fun. It's like you know we I don't know if you guys have seen them, but you know crime is legal, and for twenty four hours or just overnight or something, and people just go crazy and kill each other, and it's pretty ridiculous. Um, honestly, I don't know if I've seen the first Purge movie, but I've seen the second and third ones. And so this will be the fourth one. It's a prequel. So I'm pretty excited about the first Purge, I think. And when I say I haven't seen the first Purge, I mean I haven't seen the first one that came out. But um, <laughs> So confusing. <laughs> anyway, July 1st, 4th, go see the Purge. The first Purge. Um, also, uh, 
Also, uh, later that weekend, on July 6th, the new Marvel movie comes out, Ant-Man and the Wasp. So I just rewatched the first Ant-Man, and I was so surprised. Like, I mean, I've seen it before, but I forgot how much fun it was. Like, it totally has a different vibe than a lot of the other Marvel movies. It hardly takes itself seriously. There's just a lot of jokes. It's a heist movie. It's, like, on a much smaller scale than the other ones. And coming off of Infinity War, where, like... You know, the entire universe is, like, on the balance. Thor's trying to kill everybody, and it's, like, every single Avenger is there. Uh, it's, I think it'll be just, like, fun and refreshing to just have a small Ant-Man story. And um, the Wasp being in it will be really fun. And um, this also, it should be noted, this takes place before Infinity War, so it might explain why Ant-Man's not in that movie. Um, I'm also excited about a movie called Blind Spotting. I don't really know too much about it, except that it was uh, it was playing at the Seattle International Film Festival, and a bunch of uh, people I know went and saw it, and they all said it was really, really great. It got like tremendous buzz around Seattle, and I'm, I missed it, but it's getting a wide release um, on it's getting a wide release on July 20th. So uh, I want I just wanted to bring that up and say like keep your eyes open for that one. Yeah, I recently saw a trailer for that, um, one of the previous films I saw, and the trailer looks really good. Um, and it has 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, so I think this is going to be one of the better critical films of the month of July. Also coming out on July 27th, there's Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, <clears throat> I'm actually I'm watching, re-watching all the Mission Impossible movies. Uh, I've watched the first three and they're a ton of fun, uh, especially the first one. And it's it's kind of cool how <clears throat> how varied the movies are in their style and, and kind of what they're going for. Like the first one was very much a um, trying to be an adaptation of the original uh, TV series and uh, in, in how it was structured and kind of the subject matter and everything. And it, yeah, it was directed by Brian Del Palma. Uh, but then this, the second one was just totally abandoned that concept and went with John Woo <clears throat> to make uh, a movie that was just oozing with style. Um, there was a shot in that movie that was looking through an open door. The door frame was on fire. There were sparks flying through the background. Tom Cruise walks by in slow motion and a dove flies through the door. Oh, it's John Woo. There's got to like, be doves, man. There's got to yeah, be doves. Yeah. <laughs> it is such a John Woo movie. That I used it's, to love it's that actually, movie. Yeah, it's actually my second favorite of the movies I've seen so far. It might even be my second favorite of the series. Have you just watched <laughs> one, two so far? <laughs> one, two, and three. So I have I to confess. That better than three. So guess what? The only Mission Impossible movie I haven't seen is. Well, don't the guess. First one? It's uh, number four. Oh, and I'm like deeply ashamed of that. I haven't seen like, three or four, Brandon. So I'm. Isn't I'm right four there supposed with you. to be the like? It's Brad Bird. Isn't it supposed to be yeah, the best one? Yeah, that's what a lot of people say. I've seen one, two, three, I thought three five, was and six, or and five. I think pre- people are pretty all over the place. Like three is J.J. Abrams, and um, it's really good too. Um, and the, but the first one is just classic. It's like definitely has the most memorable scene in it. And I like the first like, one a lot. I think that's my favorite. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely my favorite. And 
and I did dig number five, and so I am pretty excited for yeah. uh, Fallout. Yeah, to I'm really out. excited for it. So, yeah, and this is the first one where it's the same director as the previous mm. movie. So, yeah, the guy who did the fifth one is coming back for the sixth one. Anyway, so those are the movies that we're excited about for the month of July. So be sure to pay attention for our next episode. should be coming out uh, late July. In the meantime, uh, go to the movies. Check out the ones that we've talked about or the ones that we're looking forward to. So um, that's wrapping us up. Uh, Brandon, where can people find you online? You can find me at letterboxd at beb, B-E-B. Or you can follow me at Instagram, Brandon underscore Bulby. Uh, Sean, what about you? Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at uh, Bulbinator2. Cool. And yeah, I'm on Letterboxd at Mothman23. Follow us. Uh, you know, we watch a lot of movies, and uh, Letterboxd is a really fun way to keep track of what you and your friends are watching. So um, check that out. And with that, we're just going to say goodbye. So uh, catch you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.